Welcome to the Bank of Me podcast channel, looking at how individual and team performance build strong cultures. Hosted by Jane Sparrow and Chris Preston. You are listening to a deep dive episode. My name's Jane Sparrow. I'm author of The Culture Builders and recently published The Bank of Me, a practical book looking at how we as individuals can really help to create fantastic cultures full of people that love what they do. My colleagues and I over the next few weeks and months will be sharing our own stories, people that have inspired us, and a whole host of conversations with those people that we've worked with or that appear in our work because we feel that they really add something amazing to those that we're working with. We'll be doing some deep dive sessions just like this one and some little culture bursts where we give some practical tips and stories that we hope will really inspire you and help make your lives even better than they are today. Today, I'm thrilled to be with one of our favourite people. We've been on an amazing journey together over the last few years. Darren Childs, the UK TV CEO. I'll let him say a few words about his background, his journey in a moment. But the reason that we were really, really keen to have Darren with us and have a conversation with him, a bit of a deep dive today, is because he is someone that we know really, really understands the impact of culture. And we wanted to explore that, explore what we've done, explore the impact it's had and the lessons learned, the things he'd do again and maybe wouldn't do again. So welcome, Darren. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. It's good to see you. Um, For those that perhaps don't know you, I'm sure there's not many that don't know you, but uh, for those that don't, can you tell us a little bit about your your own background and journey uh, before you you got to this point with UKTV? Yeah, sure. Um, I've kind of been in media for pretty much most of my career and I've probably seen media at its best and I've probably seen media at its worst. And they were some of the kind of interesting things that when I came into this role which is now seven and a half years into that journey, you know, you kind of pick up things along the road where you can see how, what things have worked and what things have haven't worked. This was the first real opportunity for me as CEO here to actually take all of that learning over the years and actually really start to apply it really for the very first time. In terms of my own personal career, again, majority of it has actually been in television and in media, but not just in the UK. I've had the opportunity to work for a lot of amazing American media companies where you know, there is no culture. It comes from sort of highly influential, larger than life titans who instill the culture through the corridors and the meeting rooms to organisations where there's been a real lack of culture. And I've been able to witness it at its best and again at its worst, where it's driven outstanding performance but the converse is that it's also driven atrocious performance and behaviors and so I think a lot of this is about a journey of kind of learning and thinking about what's had the biggest impact on you as an individual what's had the biggest impact on organizations that you've worked for and then trying to distill that down into something that you think can achieve your objectives when you're coming into a new company for the first time. And you mentioned culture a number of times. I think what I find really interesting when we work with people is they'll say, come and help us with our culture or Mm -hmm. 
come and change our culture or evolve it. And and it almost feels like what people expect is a magic wand that's just going to change everything. Whereas, of course, what we know is that it's much more like fairy dust. Lots of small but very significant things that need to be done over a long period of time to change and create the culture that you really want. Um, what, what does culture mean to you? If people say culture to you, how would you define it? And what does it mean? And why is it so important? It's about how you can align people with purpose. It's about how you can align organisational imperatives so that you are setting the stage for the business to perform. And I think the key thing and the reason why this is so critical right now is that our world has changed. The business world has changed in the last 10 years, primarily driven by digital and the internet. And I think it's fair to say that no company can sit back and just rest on its legacy and continue to thrive and, and be successful. There's lots of statistics about the number of you know, S&P companies that literally will list in the US markets, become very successful, and then within a very short period of time are now out of business. And these are some big companies. So I think it's fair to say that actually nothing is guaranteed anymore because the pace of change in business is just so much quicker. And with that as a backdrop, you know, leadership of any organisation has to be thinking about how, therefore, its company can innovate at speed, how it can remain competitive, how it can better serve its customers, which is ultimately what organisations and businesses are there for. You know, UKTV's kind of one of its main purposes is to um, provide a solution to its customers and solve a problem for them. And most organisations exist purely for that. So once you start to kind of unpack those bits about, you know, how do I innovate to speed? How do I get people to come to work and, and really kind of dig in and achieve? That's when you start heading into that the kind of overarching piece of work, which gets... I think oversimplified sometimes and labelled as culture because I think there's a lot more to it than just the word culture. I think it basically is a root and branches kind of assessment of performance in your organisation. And again, with a backdrop of how you can innovate in order to survive. And of course, uh, you know, that whole piece around culture being much more complex than just a word is why we've worked together for seven and a half years. And what we love about you being that you don't think it's done. You know, so many places will go in and, and we'll start to do some work on culture. And then, right, right, we've had a year of that. Let's move on to the mm-hmm. next thing. And I know you're a great believer that actually, you know, it's all about setting that stage for people to perform. But because the market changes, because the environment changes, it's never done. It's an evolving, evolving kind of process. Yeah, I think CEOs make two big mistakes around this issue of culture. The first one is they think it's an HR initiative and they hand it over to their HR teams. You know, I'm sure you've been in many conversations where, you know, leaders will sit down with their HR and go, we need to go and fix the culture of this place. Go and, you know, go and come up with a plan, sort it out. Um, without really understanding what it actually means. So it's absolutely critical for the CEO to own that part of the process. It's not something you can either delegate or abdicate to somebody else. And the reason why that's the case is because everyone's looking at you. And and unless you're an authentic leader that believes what you're talking about in in relation to the the elements that make up organisational culture then you're going to lose everybody at the first initiative. So I think that's a big mistake that everyone makes. I think the second one is, as you covered, is people think it has a start, middle and an end. And it just doesn't. Uh, It's continuous. But if you get it right, and it takes time and a huge amount of effort, it is one of the most rewarding parts of the job. So a start, middle and end. Tell tell us about the UK TV journey then. It's been 
the entire time you've been at the organisation has been the journey and the story, hasn't it? And I mean, wow, the, the performance that has resulted at outperforming expectations at every, every level. Tell us more about that journey, why you started on it, what you've learned. Yeah, a lot of it was driven by the kind of fear of uncertainty about the future of the company. And again, no one can take for granted that they're going to be in business in 10 years time. So you can't sit back and just expect things to carry on without there being high levels of innovation, because anything that's touching our customer right now is evolving at huge speed. So a lot of it was driven by that, the real need to make sure that the business thrived and was successful and more successful and again once you start unpacking things like that you have to start thinking around some of the more tactical bits and pieces about okay how do how am i going to build high performance teams what is it going to take for people to come in work collegiately together in order to produce great work you start to unpack things like that for me it was about unpacking command and control structures was one of the things i wanted to do early on because I'd seen some pretty poor management and leadership practices in companies that I'd worked for before. But I also knew that whole command and control structure, which was designed for the industrial revolution and certainly not for the creative or the digital revolution, which we were were all still going through right now and we probably will be doing for the next 50 years, is that we had to do things in a different way in order to remain competitive. And for me, that meant very simply, I had to build an environment where everyone felt that they'd bought into what we were trying to do. Everyone came to work with as much ambition for the success of the organization as I had. You know, one of the guiding lights for me every morning and certainly in every interaction I have with people is, do they give a damn about the success of this business? And it's one of the constant filters in every interaction I have with everybody is, do they give a damn about the success uh, of UKTV? And if they don't, then that is a leadership failing on my part, which I need to either go and address. And it's either a failing in the recruitment process, we've hired the wrong people, something's gone wrong in their day-to-day life where they something's demotivated them from actually doing their great work, or there's a leadership problem in terms of they're not being, they're not being inspired. So there are a number of areas like that that we really wanted to get into quite quickly. The most important one for me was how can we just be more creative? So we're a creative organization. We don't make washing machines or cars. We don't have factories that are producing goods and and production lines. We have ideas. That's the currency of what makes our business successful. If we have better ideas than somebody else, then it means we're going to engage customers more and they're going to uh, spend more time with us and our business is going to be more successful. So it started with that kind of real desire to build an environment where creativity was the main currency and people felt empowered to be creative, to take risks, to make mistakes, to make big demands of themselves, to push leadership into uncomfortable situations, to do things that they didn't necessarily want to do because we were in uncharted territory. And for me, they were the guiding lights in terms of if I could build an environment where that was going to be visible at every single level. I just had a gut feeling that UKTV would go on to be a very successful organization. And I think that's been the proof points for me is every time somebody walks up to me and, and shares an idea which either scares me or is something I've not heard before. That's a result of seven or eight years of building the right environment where people can feel comfortable doing that. And it's interesting you say that because I think about the sort of some of the 
principles behind some of the work together around culture and about three pillars that we talk about. So what is it we believe in? What's the vision? What's the ambition? What's the purpose? What are the values? How do we behave being the second pillar in terms of is the way we behave every day aligned to to that belief? And then the third area being what do we use, the tools, the systems, the processes and the kind of physical environment. You know, I remember very well that one of the things that really made a difference for people early on was you having ambition and then talking about you know, what your ambition for the company and making it really, really simple for people to understand. But then as soon as you look like you might be approaching that, pushing further, you know, we want to be bigger than, oh, we almost are, so let's go even more. So that kind of belief that you instill, but also, therefore, just your simple comment there around people coming up to you and giving you things that scare you or giving you ideas that scare you means that you're, you've created an environment where people can do that. I mean, the number of places I go into where the CEO is locked in an office, and not just the CEO, but the entire senior leadership team, you can't get in their diaries, you couldn't walk up and talk to them. And I think a big part of that culture you've created, the environment you've created, the stage you've created is that there is an openness from you and a willingness to engage and an encouragement to engage with you at, at every opportunity. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you've done that and the environment you've created? Yeah, I, I, think, um, I think everyone needs purpose. And my job is to give people purpose in their work life. Well, in their private life, that's, that's totally up to them, what, what they do outside of hours. But uh, I want people to be excited to walk through the door every morning and work hard on, you know, delighting and surprising customers with great ideas and great creativity. Everyone needs purpose. And when purpose is not around, you can feel it, you can see it, you can smell it in the walls. You know, you've, we've all worked into organisations where the workforce isn't engaged with the purpose of the organization and it's, it's not their fault it's the leadership problem uh, and leadership needs to own it fully and so giving people purpose i think is one of the most important things any leader really should think about and and we did that by setting ourselves some big audacious goals in terms of what we thought we could achieve and they weren't economic goals even though those did exist and they were sitting behind what we were trying to achieve they were creative goals they were things that they wanted to go home and talk to their families and friends about that they'd achieved and we wanted to lift their sense of pride about what the company was doing with their friends and family and again I think it's often forgotten but I think every leader needs to really seriously think about what business purpose they're trying to bring a group of people together in order to achieve and once you start going down that road that's when you start getting into the kind of behaviours once you've said a you know once purpose starts to become clear and actually for us our scale of ambition just kept growing growing as we built confidence in what we were achieving. I think if I'd gone in on day one and said, we're going to go from here all the way to here in one step, I think I would have lost everybody. We did it very much in a clear sequence of growth stages over a number of years to the extent where I think everyone looking back is still actually genuinely quite surprised about how much was achieved. But then we needed to get the behaviours right because you can't have highly efficient, high-performing teams. You can't have risk and innovation without trust and support. You've then got to start unpacking all of those kind of things. And I think one of the big challenges for us was dealing with quite a lot of bad behaviour. And bad behaviour has been tolerated in the creative industries for quite some time. It was very clear in my mind that uh, my tenure wasn't going to tolerate that and that I needed to deal with it. 
you know, in the strong belief that everything we do is a team sport. You know, you've kind of, we have a saying, which I think we've stolen from sports teams, which is kind of, you know, no heroes, no passengers. And it drives a lot of our thinking because no one single individual can make a amazing piece of TV. So by its own nature, it's a team sport. And therefore, those team behaviours need to kind of come through strongly. People need to be collegiate. They need to be capable of working together. They need to be able to give and receive positive and critical feedback around performance, all in the spirit of trying to produce better work, not in a blame game, not in a, you know, people fearful for their jobs or fearful for their reputations. But we very much wanted to build an environment where we could have honest conversations. And again, you know, we're dealing with an honest open, direct conversation is the best place to start when you're dealing with a new problem. And what we're all facing right now constantly is new problems because the business environment is evolving. Yeah. That makes sense. It does. And that that whole piece about the no heroes, no passengers, but also that feedback, that ability to grow as a business, but also as individuals throughout that, I think fascinates me. And you were bold there as well, weren't you? Because at a highly practical level, you started your six weekly conversations to change the dynamic so that it wasn't an annual appraisal kind of Mm -hmm. feedback culture. It was much more dynamic, much more fluid, flexible, immediate, so that that represented what you needed in that business. Tell us a bit more about that, because that was quite a bold move. I think because things are changing, it's not wise anymore just to keep doing things because that's the way that they've been done over the last two years, the last five years, the last 25 years. And again, one of the things I see a lot around when I'm visiting other businesses is that they don't question why they do things. And one of the things I'm very proud of here is that everything's up for debate. If there's a better way of doing something, then we will debate it and we'll discuss it and we'll put in something new in order to actually improve it. We see that as a form of gaining competitive advantage in our business. And one of the things that kind of came up for me was around appraisals. Now, we've all been doing appraisals for years. 20 years, 30 years, some of us. And my view was I've, on a personal critical level, never felt like I'd given a great piece of annual appraisal feedback to somebody because when you do it on an annual basis you're just not in the rhythm of doing it on a constant basis you kind of get into the flow of it and I think a lot of people I talk to you know at the end of the appraisal process when they reviewed most of their team felt more comfortable about it and then you kind of forget the muscle memory disappears for 12 months and then you start again. So I'd never really felt like I'd given a phenomenal appraisal to anybody. But more importantly, I'd also felt like I'd never really received a great appraisal from any of my previous bosses over the years. And then the third problem we were trying to deal with was actually the whole 12-month thing is just insane. You know, people's careers, you know, the 12-month appraisal process was designed when people stayed in companies for 30 years. And certainly with younger workforces, they are much more mobile now. Two, three-year engagement for them is a long time. So actually to say that you've got a great piece of talent in the building where you only sit down two or three times and have a great conversation with them about their future and their potential and what's going right and what's going wrong just felt like something from the industrial era. And so we decided that we would just bin the whole thing and start again. And what we replaced it with is a six-weekly kind of coaching session. So how that works in practice is that every six weeks, I sit down with the people that are in my team. And at the beginning of every year, we have a very clear set of deliverables and objectives for the year ahead. And it all filters through into our financial plans and everything else. But every six weeks, we sit down and have 
a really good conversation about how all of that stuff is going and are they having any problems? Are they hitting any barriers? Is it still a relevant objective that we should be pursuing? You know, sometimes it's why is it not moving quickly enough? It's just a brilliant opportunity to coach people and give them constant feedback throughout the year so that there aren't any surprises when you come to that annual appraisal. They know whether they're doing a good job or not. And I think the key learning for me was that is a really important thing for most people now is that they want to know how it's going. They want feedback. They want a very quick feedback loop. And the whole annual appraisal system, again, is something from an industrial era, which is no longer relevant for fast moving digital companies. And it's been one of the best things we've ever done in terms of, you know, people, there's total management clarity about what's expected. There's scheduled constant coaching and development around how we can help people in our teams become more successful and achieve those objectives. And the best thing about it all is when people will come in in June, July and go, I've done all my objectives for the year. I've achieved everything I set out to. And rather than waiting for their next appraisal in December, we can sit down and have a great conversation about what else can be achieved in the six months that are available to them for the rest of the year. So people don't get bored or stale because they're constantly being challenged and genuinely kind of urge everyone to look at it and feel free to steal that one with glee. We developed a piece of software in-house, which has allowed us to kind of track everyone's objectives and how they're working against that. And all of those objectives filter into the whole overall annual plan for the business as well. So we can see that people are working on the stuff that's important to the business rather than side projects or other bits and pieces which we don't think are a critical part of our strategic plan. And I think that's interesting because that whole piece around you've got the process in terms of the six weekly conversations, you've got that ethos and that spirit of growth. But of course, that wasn't enough just to say, let's do it, was it? You role modelled it right from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And you gave people the help so that they felt confident enough to have those conversations because we've worked with a lot of businesses where they might set off along that path but underestimate that there is a human factor here that says giving feedback can be tough you know even the good stuff you know we're not necessarily very good at appreciating and encouraging but if you're having to give a little bit more challenging direction knowing how to do that knowing what kind of language to use knowing how to do it in a way that feels like a growth experience is not easy if you're not used to having that muscle and I think that's the other thing that I I noticed that you really put around all of this is the support so that people didn't just know that that's what they had to do they were able to do it they were confident to do it they trusted each other enough to do and a big part of what you've done is build trust throughout the organization mm, i think a couple of points to make on that i think anyone that's not prepared to give critical feedback is not ready to lead quite frankly and i think if you're in a leadership role and you are not prepared to sit down with your team and give them guidance coaching critical feedback get out of the way because you're stopping people from developing and i think that's a question anyone in a big leadership role needs to sit down quietly and ask themselves are they really ready to lead because leadership is about motivating people it's about coaching people it's about getting the best out of people you can't do that without being prepared to have those kind of conversations and you're right the critical part of that is building trust so that they know that that's a safe environment and that you are on their side a big part of my job is to make my team succeed it's not about me succeeding it's about making them succeed and over the years we've built a kind of understanding that they know that I'm genuinely rooting for them all the time. And the sessions that we have are not about 
keeping an eye on them or checking whether they're doing the work. It's about, do you have the resources to be successful? Can I help you be successful? What can I do to unblock something in the organization which is stopping you being successful? And you've got to work on all of those things. Probably took us, I trialed it with my direct reports for a year before we rolled it out across the whole company. They loved it so much and got so much out of it. They wanted to then roll it around their teams. And again, now we run that process throughout the entire organization because there's value in it for them. And I think that's the important bit. People will stay and deliver and produce in organizations if they feel the organization's got their back and is interested in developing their careers and developing them as individuals. That six weekly coaching session that we had was all about sending those signals, but actively engaging in that process. And it's worked. And everything shows it. And you can feel it when you're in the building, when you're in in conversations with with people in this business. You absolutely feel it. Two areas I wanted to just explore briefly. Um, We could spend so much time. I mean, I'm picking your whole career, let alone the last few years. I'd love to know more about what your top tips are that you would pass on. But more, more than that, what inspires you? You've talked about leadership a lot. What inspires you as an individual? Where have you got your inspiration from? I think leadership's a huge responsibility. It's a huge, and, and it's not something everyone should take on because I think it takes, it takes its toll, I think. Proper leadership does. If done correctly, you're responsible for the careers of everyone that works. If you are intent on them achieving, and I think one of the things... You know, probably a good story to illustrate that. It's probably not a business-related story, probably more a life-related story. Is, um, I very much remember sitting down with my grandfather when he was good innings in 94 or whatever. But in the last five or six years of his life, he'd not been able to move. So he was pretty much chair-bound. And I think it's quite a common story. And he'd had a great career. I said to him, how do you keep saying you can't get up, you can't go out, you're going to... And he he told me that he thinks about the people that he's helped along the way. Uh, And he'd helped a whole bunch of people. And in fact, it was only at his funeral that I realised how much he'd helped people in their careers and how much he'd helped people achieve their success. And that stayed with me. And I think probably the other way of explaining it is just before I started here, I spent some time thinking about what does success look like for me? What, really, what does success look like? Reflecting on that story with my grandfather, I was thinking about, you know, when I'm you know, retired and I'm sitting in hopefully a nice restaurant or a coffee shop or whatever, success won't be how massive our profit numbers rose or how much additional revenue we made. Success for me will be somebody coming up to me that worked for me and said, you know what, you know, when, when we were all together, that's when I did my best work. And that's what drives me is I want to build an environment where 350 people can come to work and say, you know, while I was there, that's when I did my best work. I'd build the environment that inspired them to actually be their most creative, be their most ambitious, move their careers along. And, you know, there are many people that have been here, there are many people still to come that have gone on to do phenomenal things inside and outside of UKTV. And that's one of the things that gives me purpose as a leader here is seeing these people develop. I've been in organisations where people are a commodity. They're brought in, they are taken advantage of, they are basically wrung dry for everything they've got and then they are shown the exit door when they're burnt out. And I think that's so 
tragic an outcome and such a tragic way to deal with people. There is a better way. The great thing for us is that better way is just delivering outstanding results for the organization and, you know, financially and uh, and creatively. So there is a different way. And I, again, just urge everyone to think about everything that they're doing and just ask themselves, is there a better way of doing this which can produce a better outcome? Well, I would say probably seven or eight times out of 10, the answer to that is yes. You just need to be brave enough to think it through, do the thought experiments, test it, and then be brave enough to implement it and then be brave enough where if it doesn't work to change it. And I think that's another thing that we do is, you know, great companies try new stuff all the time, but they're also really quick to say, you know what, that didn't work. And that's okay. We'll just bin that and we'll move on and we'll try something else. And so anyone listening to this who's been inspired, as I'm sure many people have, to go and do something more than they're doing today, to be bold, what what would you say is your top three tips to them to get started? I think because of the way the way things have changed, I think to be a truly exceptional member of a team means you've got to come at things in a slightly different way to the way that we've been trained. I think one of the biggest hindrances to most people's development is that they learn how to behave and they learn how to deal with issues from their boss and their boss probably learnt it from their boss and their boss probably learnt it from their boss's boss. And those people, their approach to business was, again, designed for a different era. I say that because, again, it's about giving people permission to tear things up and start again. Just because of the way that that was done isn't the way that things have to be done going forward. So the thing for me that I look out for is for when people wow me with something which is either left field, so ambitious, so creative that... It's something that I wouldn't be capable of thinking of. And what's fantastic about coming to work here every day is is I am bombarded with fantastic ideas, ambitious ideas from people because the culture allows those ideas to permeate to the top. And again, the old business model was ideas come from the top down rather than from the bottom up. So flip that on its head. Give yourself permission to take risks. I got some great advice when I was very young, which was if you don't get fired two or three times in your career, it's because you're not trying hard enough. I think that means that you've got to make a stand sometimes. And sometimes that may result in you losing your job because you've taken too big a stand or whatever. My advice is that's okay. Be prepared to get fired. Be brave. Be bold. And be prepared to pay the price. Ultimately, your career will benefit from it. And ultimately, you will find an organization that will reward you and recognize you from being prepared to take those brave and bold moves. Darren, hugely inspiring to hear your thoughts, your experiences. I love the story about your grandfather. And I think it's important for all of us to reflect on what is inspiring us and some of those conversations that when we're in a fast, busy world, we don't stop to think about what they're actually teaching us. And so much of what you've said today, people can go and do something with those listening that do want to change their organisations or even their teams at a more micro level. There's lots in what you've said that will really help them. And the advice that I'm hearing at the end here very much is about being bold. The reason that you're here and that we were keen to bring your experiences to those listening is because you have been bold and the results have followed. This is not just, you know, a soft area. You have the hard results that have followed those bold decisions as an individual and creating a culture that really is watertight to help ongoing growth. So thank you for sharing with us today and we look forward to welcoming you again to hear the next chapter. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Continue the journey at www.theculturebuilders.com.